Podcast, the official podcast of downinfrontpodcast.com. My name is Warren. We'll be hanging out this evening. And tonight we are going to be giving you a full review of Crazy Rich Asians, one of the newest and arguably, I would say this is a bit of a rom-com, but it's also very enjoyable and it's also very fun. Here on the Down in Front Podcast, what we do is we review movies, TVs, just about anything and everything nerdy, all over a, a bit of a beverage, whether it's alcoholic or not. We like to have fun. Hashtag sip to that. Tonight we are joined with the most amazing co-host. I have the beautiful Brayland, Mouth of the South. That's how you pronounce it from where I'm from. That's, oh, from yeah. where you're from. Yes, yeah, from where I'm from. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh Bradlin, man, uh, how you going, man? How you feeling? Uh, what you sipping on and what you've been watching? Uh, I'm doing well tonight. Uh I am continuing to sip on my Gatorade Red as I was corrected last night that there's no fruit fruit punch flavor. It's just red. Um, but, uh, what I've been watching recently since I was sick in bed for a while last week, um, I started to catch up on the CW Arrowverse. Uh, this was my first time where I didn't follow it through the season and I actually waited till it was all on Netflix and I'm watching, all four of the major shows, so uh, Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, and uh, Legends of Tomorrow, all in that order. And I'm just going through each episode, like each, like four groups of episodes, like once a week and stuff. And I'm actually enjoying watching it that way. It's kind of like picking up one comic book, reading it, picking up the next comic book and reading it. And uh, it's it's nice because I feel like it makes the seasons flow a little bit smoother. And some of the gripes I had about previous seasons, they seem to actually have made these seasons a little bit more consistent in their quality and um, actually are improving the storyline. So they actually are, I think the writing's much better than the last couple seasons for all these uh, shows as well. But I would say like the standout, just because it's just so, it's so much fun and it just treats everything as fun is legends of tomorrow. A lot of them will, the others will get into like very like dramatic CWS soap opera stuff. Legends is just flat out fun. And I think if you only had to choose one to watch, probably watch it. Oh, wow. That's huge. I mean, I know my roommate now like absolutely enjoys a lot of those shows. I just have never had my, like, I just never seen any of them. Uh, I just don't know why. I mean, maybe because it's just so much other stuff that I, I wanted to watch could be, but I feel like I would probably enjoy it if I were to watch it. I just haven't had the chance to. Right. So that's a bummer, but that's cool. I'm glad that you are kind of enjoying that. I, I'm glad that these things are good. You know, I definitely hear some mixed things about um, these particular kind of shows. And so if you say it's good, I'm going to hopefully at some point take a look at and see if I can try to watch it. Yeah, it's definitely worth uh, at least checking out like the first season of each of these series. I will. I I will. 
So uh, thanks for kind of joining in. Um, I am Warren, and I am drinking on some Apothic Dark, dark red wine. Uh, so I got to finish the bottle because I travel back to Boston tomorrow. And so good thing I only have a, a little bit left. So this bottle is not going to make it through this recording, so it's going to be perfect. <laughs> um, but what I have been watching, uh, it's a, a bit of an update. I know I was kind of raving and um, about you know the show Sharp Objects before the last time that we had a review together, and I'm getting a bit nervous of the show. Um, they had about maybe two, potentially three. I think maybe it was two episodes that were just not as good as I thought that they should have been, and that was kind of a bummer. Um, Insecure at the time just had started, and I really love where Insecure is going. Now, I haven't seen the past two, so I'll, I mean, I haven't seen the past one from this week, so we'll be checking that out in the next day or so, or possibly tonight. But that's not what I've been watching. What I was looking at is, you know, uh, definitely taking a look at and checking out uh, other small other movies and things. So what I'm, what I'm finding when I'm on Amazon, I'm really, really enjoy a lot of the content that they have on Amazon because it feels like they just kind of what I mean, like, don't care. It's not because they're putting out bad content, right? I just feel like they're putting out the content that they want to put out either doesn't get a lot of publicity or doesn't get a lot of marketing, but they have a lot of good stuff on this actual sort of channel. And usually it's pretty free because a lot of people have Amazon prime or, you know, somebody else whose account has Amazon prime. So I, I looked through there and I found this movie with Adam Scott called friends with kids. Um, and it was, it was actually pretty enjoyable. It's pretty fun. Talks about like a, a group of friends and um, they uh, at one point, uh, these four group of friends are, you know, two, two are the married couples. One of them, the other two were just single friends individually. They're two married couple friends end up having kids. And so the two single ones says, you know what, let's have a kid together without all the bullshit of like a marriage and whatnot and what happens in between that. So I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was a very enjoyable movie. I, I'm surprised that the movie I think came out in 2011 or 2012 or something like that. Maybe after like maybe 2013, um, but I didn't hear anything about it. But it was a really good cast. John Hamm was in it. Kristen Wiig was in it. Um, Maya Rudolph was in it. And who's that guy from? Oh, he's in everything. The Irish guy that was in IT Crowd, and he was in. Oh yeah. Uh, Chris something. Chris. Uh... Chris Evans. No, it's not Chris Evans. <laughs> uh, I, I know who I you're talking about, though. Yeah, yeah. he's he's amazing. He's, he's in it. Yeah, he's yeah. great. I mean, he has some crazy, crazy range. Oh, actually, and speaking of him, he also shows up, and this is another movie I saw on the plane. I finally got a chance to watch Molly's Game, and I think you had talked about this yeah. way back when. Um, so now that I finally saw it, I'm curious. You know, uh, I think you had said that it was a pretty good performance. Um, you liked the writing in it, uh, but it was anything spectacular. Yeah, it, it felt very pedestrian for an Aaron Sorkin film and I really didn't feel interested in like what Molly's story was mm -hmm. even though I think um Jessica Chastain I mean she's a great actress and she did what she could with that material yeah it was you know it was interesting I was actually way more interested in Idris Elba's character as a yeah. lawyer kind of defending her it felt like he had a lot more to do although he had less time on screen which is kind of a bummer uh the mugging like the robin sequence was rough and that was like really tough to kind of watch so i'm glad they actually kind of showed that and 
also didn't make a big deal out of it up until when she kind of introduced and talked with her father about it, which Kevin Costner, that dude does not age. No. It's... <laughs> He's been like 65 for like 15 years. <laughs> I, I feel like that dude's like this. He looks the same, the exact same as the last big movie I saw him in, which was uh, Man of Steel. Yeah, and absolutely. So that was crazy. Uh, but that was great. Um, so I, I enjoyed the movie. Uh, I at least enjoyed some of the characters of it. I, I was getting a kind of a kind of bummed to the point where it felt like even for a Sorkin film, they over sexualized Molly's character. And I understand that's what they were kind of going for, but I think they definitely need to tone it down, tone <laughs> yeah. it down a little bit. Like, come on there. We can figure out this other, we can figure out all this other shit that's yeah. actually happening. There um, just needed to be like a gentle breeze flow through the window and like that cleavage is going everywhere. Everywhere. Bro. I was like, <laughs> we get it. I think at one point I was like, oh, and then after the 16th time within the first 25 minutes, I'm like, oh shit. Are we, is this what the movie that we're in for? I mean, A, I'm not complaining, but B, come on. Let, let's get to the, I'd like to see a, a movie that it looks like it has like some chops, especially because they tried to rush this out for some, um, uh, actor nomination, uh, uh, Oscar nominations and Golden Globes and stuff like that. And so anytime that you're trying to squeeze it in, just like the same thing with the Phantom Thread, which I didn't like, but they try to squeeze it in. I'm like, no, just, just calm down. It's OK. Right. You don't have to get in every time. So relax. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned like you were starting to peruse Amazon Prime a bit more um, that uh, Guillermo and I were actually looking through it today. And uh, we were getting super excited about uh, Jack Ryan uh, coming out next Friday. Yeah, John so, Krasinski. Yeah. Yeah, we're pumped to see like how they do that Tom Clancy series. But I've heard nothing but good things about it. Uh, but also looking at Amazon Prime, they're starting to hype up Marvelous Miss Maisel season two, which I am yes. super excited for. So I'm bummed that we didn't talk about that season one. So I really hope, you know, once season two drops and is done and it's just as amazing, like that's something that we can talk about. Yeah. Um, my roommate right now, and I know Megan Arnold, you're listening. They absolutely love um, the writer. I'm sorry, I forgot her name, but from Golden Girls, who made the, who made the show too. She and started so, from Golden Girls? No, 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 not the Marvelous Mace Maisel. It's the same creator from Golden Girls. Oh, wow. I yeah, know that. mm -hmm. that's cool. And so she basically makes nothing but gold. Okay, anyway, uh, <laughs> but like I definitely, it's to the point where I loved Marvel, the marvelous Miss Maisel season one so much, and the, just about everything of that show that I loved. That it's like maybe I want to watch Golden Girls, and then I found it's like a hundred seasons, and I'm like maybe I don't. That's just a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, yeah. I'm already doing my Mr. Rogers bit. It, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe after you're through with the eight thousand seasons of Mister Rogers, you can jump into Golden Girls. Then after that, you can go to six. Matlock. Oh no, <laughs> I would not. Man, I hated Matlock just because my mom always watched it. I was like, this show <laughs> looks so boring. But I probably would like it. Let's be honest. But then yeah. I need to go back and watch Mash. Apparently, I don't know. Old classic TV shows, but that what that is what I have been watching. So I'm pumped to get into this review. Um, usually we kind of ask a particular kind of clarifying question, but I know that this movie was based on the book. We'll keep it short. Did you read the book? I have not read this book. Me and I'm curious about how much of this movie, how much of the book is in this movie? Mm. That's going to be like in my mind for a couple of things that I have questions about this film 
my roommate and I believe uh, Emma both have seen or have read the book and they absolutely love the book. And so I'll be curious because we have seen a lot of book to movies scenarios and they all have not been very good. Yeah. Uh, not all. Let me take that back. Like we have seen a lot and I think Annihilation was one. We talked about A Wrinkle in Time was one. I think we I I mentioned Darkest Minds and you know we talked about uh the Stephen King Dark Tower, right? There's been a lot of like adaptations from books. Um and, I mean even to the point where, you know, we talked about Black Klansman. So another adaptation for a yeah. book. And so it's it's curious to see, you know, how much of the story is still there. I'm I'm assuming the book is going to be better. You know, the book was uh, written by Kevin Kwan. Uh, so it's an actual novel, same name, you know, as uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And so he's actually on an untitled uh, Amazon project right now. So it should be interesting to check that out for, for TV, I think. Awesome. Uh, so I'll, I'll be curious to see if I want to read the book after watching that movie. But I, I enjoyed this movie, so maybe not. What's your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think this is a very interesting project because um, I I didn't read the book, but I started to hear a couple things of like how this movie got made and why people are considering it a groundbreaking film is that um, the author, his name is Kevin Kwan. Yeah. The author of the book, Kevin Kwan. Yeah. Him and John Chu, the director, Netflix apparently backed a truck full of money to them and said, Hey, make a series out of this for Netflix. And they said, no. Because they felt it would be more important to have people, uh, especially people of Asian descent, come to mm-hmm. the theaters and buy tickets to watch this movie. Interesting. So they turned down like a very lucrative offer to make it in a more classical cinema way. So you mentioned John Chu. So he is director of this actual film. He's a producer. He's also a writer. You know, looking at his IMDb is not good. Not good. All yeah. right. I mean, and I've so, never seen Step Up to the Streets. Um, no. I don't know if it's a good movie or not. I know Channing Tatum's in it. Um, but I, I can assume it's not good. <laughs> Step Up but, to um, the Streets. I, I did see G.I. Joe Retaliation. I can tell you that's not good at all. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, looking at his IMDP page, it's like G.I. Joe Retali- like known for, and these are the four biggest things that he's known for, right? G.I. Joe Retaliation, I'm like, oh, that's not a good start. And then you get Justin Bieber, Never Say Never, which I, I think that's like the movie or something like that that came out for yeah, it. Yeah, it's like the concert film. I-, I have a friend that really enjoys it. Okay. Uh, then he had the step up to the streets back in 2008. And then he actually has now you see me too, uh, which I thought was interesting. So I thought that was that actually, I think that movie kind of took a step out of a couple different pages, started making fun of itself for how ridiculous that, that, that there was. And spoiler alert for that movie, there is a famous wizard that shows up, plays a different character because it's about <laughs> magic. And so I'm like, okay. You got me. I think that's very funny that you put, you know, him into to this actual sort of movie. So they cool. magic their magic. For sure. <laughs> but it looks like he also has a lot of uh, TV stuff. I mean, a good amount of TV stuff that doesn't look to be too mainstream. Um, he has like some side projects. He looks like he's a writer on some credits. He's a director and a lot more things. Wow. He's apparently doing Now You See Me 3. 
Okay. Have not seen any of those should, movies? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you should check out number one. Number, number one. one was number one was actually, I think, it was pretty solid, pretty good. I mean, it's a great cast: Morgan Freeman and Mark Ruffalo, and a bunch of other people. Um, so, you know, what can what can you go wrong with a Morgan Freeman in the movie? Um, but you know, I'm excited. You know, looking at him, and it feels like everybody who put some work into this movie seems to be they are all out of their element, and even from the composer, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but it seems like everybody was out of their element. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to talk about this movie. I'm pumped to get into the spoiler section of it. So are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. So if you haven't seen Crazy Rich Asians, it's currently in theater for right now. Definitely go check this out. I think this is an important movie overall, just because it's actually, and I don't want to say finally, but we are now getting to the point where we're getting these movies that show different people on film and different people in the theaters, and I think it's absolutely great. And I think peop- more and more people need to go to movies to look and find people that look like them. It makes it way more an impactful experience. So definitely go check out um, Crazy Rich Asians. If you haven't seen it, pause the recording for right now. We're getting to our spoiler section, so we'll see you soon for a full review of Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> My name is Warren. I'm with Brylin, the mouth of the South. And tonight we're giving you a full spoiler section review of Crazy Rich Asians, starring Constance Wu, Henry Golding, and also has the director of John Chu. We're going to be breaking this movie down in a couple different sections as we normally does. We talk about actors and we actually talk about the character moments too. Uh, we wanted to break it up in a couple other sections. So we do have a section that we want to talk about the music, costumes, and any sort of visual uh, spectacles that we found in the movie. And then overall, the depiction of family and the Asian culture. Neither one of us are Asian, but we still want to speak about what happened and how it kind of impacted us in this movie. So before you start hating on us, meh. So, Rylan, I'm going to toss it over to you. So I'm curious to hear about more of your, um, your characters. I'm curious to hear about, you know, the acting, what you felt like some of the performances. And I want to give you a bit of a uh, sort of uh, small little um, break here of do you feel like there could be uh, Oscar-nominated performances in this movie? Uh, yeah, so I definitely think there are a couple of, uh, performances here that I think are definitely award-worthy. Um, I would say, first off, Constance Wu is fantastic in her role as Rachel, uh, throughout the whole film. She carries the film like I haven't seen anybody carry an entire film this year. Um, and she has this great balance of just being a very positive individual who wants to be happy and everything, but also at the same time, she's very strong as well. And she, even though when she gets hurt, she definitely doesn't uh, like kind of like just superhero, like just rise from the ashes. She has to talk to others, talk to her friends, talk to her family. It's kind of remind herself why this is worth fighting for. 
And I think that's a very realistic way of approaching the hurdles and the situations she gets in with um, Nick's family. Um, and I think Constance, she just knocked it out of the park, especially with one scene, which is the Mahjong scene, which we'll talk about later. Um, I think that it shows just a lot of uh, subtle, but definitely very, um, very powerful emotions and very powerful performance on her part. I loved the sequence where she gets hurt multiple times and she keeps bouncing back and keeps bouncing back and they put like a fish in her bed and rope bitch and how she's a gold digger and she's insulted and keeps bouncing back and then keeps bouncing back to the point where you know again you know off of that point of it's realistic right like only per a person can take only take so much until you got to shut down and kind of get some more motivation from elsewhere. And so she basically laid in bed for what it seems like two, three days straight or something like from a long time until she finally had her mother come, uh, that was flown in, um, from her, her boyfriend. Uh, and I, I just thought that was great for, to add such a sad, but, um, not despair, but it was much more, more of like a, a sad, but like we kind of understand because she has already weathered so much in this film that you're, you're definitely on her side, but you're trying to also root for her, but there's nothing going right. And so you keep trying to root for her. You want her to pick herself up, but it still doesn't go right because what it felt like in this movie was just because you have money doesn't mean like you have to give a shit about anybody um, else, you know? And so it, Definitely was kind of seeming more along the lines of people looking down at her and just kind of judging her just because she doesn't come from money. Um, and I, I just liked that she just kept to herself. She stuck to her guns and she was, you know, by far like the best, one of the best performances in this movie. But I like because it made it so realistic. It made it so engaging. And to make, to talk about the fact that she's a economics professor in freaking NYU. Yeah, and in game theory. <laughs> in, in getting it, it's just it, also I thought it was kind of funny because I saw Molly's game. I'm like, this is hilarious before this. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, oh man, like it, I just think that speaks crazy, crazy links already that she has such intelligence. It's out of the, it's out of nowhere, but it didn't make it seem like it was a stereotype. Asians being good at math or anything. It made it feel like you know she's a powerful force to be reckoned with but it depends on where she is and nobody really cared about intelligence at a point you know when they went back to visit his family and so i i thought that was like very very interesting of you know given her the ability to have all this knowledge but still have all of this resilience that happened to her and then we find out what happened to her mother i just think it was very very powerful impactful yeah so warren uh one other uh actress I think did a phenomenal job and she's probably my favorite performance in this film was Michelle Yeoh as Eleanor Young, uh, Nick's mother and the matriarch of the Young family uh, that she um, empowers this incredible uh, responsibility of making sure that this family is this family is represented in a certain way in their culture uh, while her husband handles business affairs who we never see so it is really interesting to see that they had this very powerful matriarch be the one that makes all the decisions about family affairs that are happening and it's interesting to see that whole dynamic that 
Uh, nothing's going to happen without her approval or anything. But I think Michelle Yao brings some really cool uh, moments to it where she, uh, at first, she she's very businesslike and very cold. And Nick promises to Rachel, hey, she's going to warm up to you. You just got to give her some time because she's got a million things she's doing. She's throwing a party for a thousand people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you're going to be busy as hell doing that. But over time, we start to see that um, that she has some very cruel things, some cruel mannerisms to her, and it's all a matter of Rachel not not being a different ethnicity, but being from a different culture, yeah, and not necessarily a rich or poor thing either. It's more like like Nick talks to her and says like, "Oh, the first girl I bring home is a a Chinese is an Asian professor." And she goes, Asian American. Yeah. And that's like, he almost like, how dare you bring her cuts, into this house? It cuts so deep. And I felt yeah. like a lot of her uh, insults, she was, it definitely reminded me of um, uh, Devil's Wear Prada. Um, I right, Meryl Streep. Yeah, thank you. Like, it definitely yeah. felt like I was like, she was, she, there was words and there was insults that cut so deep especially when they were making these bows or dumplings. Uh, Is that the same thing? Uh, thing. Dumplings bow, yeah. Yeah, okay. So they were making the dumplings, and it felt like like you were going to go in the right area. Then it talks about her nose and her face, and we felt like it was going to go in the right area. And then in the movie, it just kept knocking you down, and it kept knocking Rachel Chu down more and more. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. Like, how much can this girl take? And she keeps bouncing back, but just to give those lines off with no remorse. Yeah. I absolutely feel nothing. It's like, this is how I, I kind of feel about it. But I think it's interesting. You bring up something that I didn't even realize that the father wasn't even in the um, opening sequence when you can see that Michelle's characters, uh, Eleanor Young is being like rained on. They basically go into the um, hotel just to find out that, you know, they actually own the hotel. Uh, so that was kind of funny. And I thought at one point the movie was moving to an area that she'll be more of a uh, better person in the movie. Yeah, you're kind of rooting um, for her when you first yeah. meet her. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. But it, I think it's, it's interesting to see that we know the grandmother character is not Michelle Hughes or, you know, Eleanor Young's grandmother, but it's her husband's. And I thought it was interesting for the fact that, yeah, we have a lot of strong, like, female and, like, we have these matriarchal characters, but it definitely felt like there was a weight that was still being hung that even though what was being portrayed in the movie that these female characters and these women that were strong, it didn't really matter because in the end of the day, the business and the money comes from the men. Um, And I know we, we may be getting to this one a little bit later when we talk about the family and the culture. Uh, but I, I also thought, you know, I think that was, I think it was on purpose. I don't say that it's a detriment to the movie. Um, but I also think that, you know, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm like, oh, I wish it was different. But that if that's how it is, you know, I'm going to be upset that that's how it is. But they're just telling a story of, you know, this is how culture and this is how family actually lives. And this is how businesses work. It's too bad. You got to suck it up. Yeah, and I mean, there's also, I mean, just some very incredible, like, choices that Michelle Yeoh makes, so you do start to see her kind of 
like warm up a little bit to Rachel, um, especially like during the bow thing, because the bow making is like a very family oriented ritual. Uh, and you also see that she has like Bible time with her sisters and everything. Or, um, but you'll notice that even, uh, like, even when uh, Amma actually contradicts what Eleanor says about Rachel's face and says, oh, it's actually a very pretty face and everything. And then Amma, like, says to Eleanor, oh, you still don't know how to make a right after all Oof. this time. And Oof. she cuts even deeper yes. in a lot of places. And I love, I love, I mean, I think. I think Hollywood is hearing our reviews and I think they're hearing what I'm saying because talk about the authenticity. There are things that you have to put into the movie, especially if the name of the movie is Crazy Witch Asians. You better believe there may, there better be a different fucking language spoken besides English, yeah. especially when you're not even in America. Because and so... Because yeah, but, you can tell when Alma says that thing about the dumplings, it says Eleanor still doesn't know how to make it. She's visibly shaken that even yeah. as strong-willed and as tough and as uh, remorseless of a character she is, there's someone even more of an utter bitch in this movie, too. But but at the same time, once we're introduced to Alma's character, you're rooting for that character, too, played by Lisa Liu. You're rooting for that character. You think that character is going to get it. She's given Rachel Chu all these compliments, and you're like, yes. And the, the grandmother likes her. The mother is just there. Like, what's going on? Uh, to the point where, you know, the, then this revealed that, oh, the grandmother's even worse. Like, the grandmother's arguably a hundred times worse than what, yeah. you know, uh, Eleanor Young could even do. And it's like, blow, it blew my mind. I'm like, oh no. And that's what, you know, really spiraled uh, Rachel Chu into that, you know, that sadness that we were talking about. Um, but I just thought it was crazy. I just thought it was so, I, I love how the characterization of so many different characters in this actual movie, but I, I love, you know, Michelle's um, uh, portrayal of the mother in this movie, and especially to the point where, she was Rachel at one point, and I was curious to see if she's trying to make sure that Rachel's tough enough if she really didn't do it, and she had to make her prove herself um, or for something else, right? Because arguably she was in the same sort of scenario at one point. And she didn't get, she had, she, and she even said to the point where, you know, oh, I like your ring. And she lied about the ring itself and then finally told her the truth of, you know, you know, Ama, you know, my husband's, you know, grandmother didn't accept me at all. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of hard work in, the, in, in order to get to what I had to do today. And it's not easy. And I love that message because it, it transcends past, you know, the good guys, bad guys, right? Of uh, uh, the typical storytelling to the point where, you know, shit's, is, shit is not easy. Life isn't easy. There's going to be a grind. You have to definitely sacrifice. You have to put time in and you have to make a lot of hard sacrifices that consistently Nick kept coming back and back. He kept coming up and he kept trying to decide what to do. And um, I do like that element a lot that they keep bringing up in this movie. Yeah, and even after that scene where um, Eleanor is talking to Rachel about, like, hey, I wasn't even the first choice and everything when they're on the stairwell. And then even after that, she has to just jab the knife even more where she's just like, 
Um, if you think I wasn't good enough, what makes you think you're good enough for my son? Mm-hmm. And because you're coming from a totally different area than I came from as well. Mm-hmm. And I was actually more aligned with the culture that this family is about than you ever will be. But everything that I think... And it becomes other... like a knockdown, drag-out fight between Rachel and Eleanor. Yeah, but I think the yeah. other thing that I think you, what you were talking about is there's so much non-verbal, like, subtext, sort of, like, silent looks and moments that uh, Eleanor's char- Eleanor Young's character was, or, excuse me, uh, Michelle Yeoh's character was doing in the movie that was also phenomenal. Yeah. The wedding sequence that she literally didn't even say anything. The wedding sequence, like seeing her, looking her off, and you know exactly at that point, you know what she's saying. And there's so much information that's being drawn from a sense of acceptance. Ugh, it's so powerful. It's so good. And I love how people can act or they can have a particular look that conveys exactly how you're feeling but you have no idea what the words are going to be. So I, I love that perfectly. I, I love that balance a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of the other characters I thought that did a really good job, uh, Henry Golding, um, he was better than your average Prince Charming. I think uh, he did his role pretty well. He's not as phenomenal as Constance Wu or, um, or Michelle Yeoh, but I think it was cool to see him and have – this very rational relationship with uh, Rachel that they kind of bonded over things like they love to eat. They love to um, just laze about. They love to just hang out with their friends and have a good time. Uh, but they're also responsible to one another as well, which I thought was really cool. And usually you have that scene in the movie where like the prince or the the chosen son has to make that dire choice between the girl he loves versus the duty of to the family and it's not a second thought for nick here he's just like fuck y'all i'm going after rachel even though they say you're gonna not be part of this family if you do that he doesn't care because Mm -hmm. he loves her and i think it's really cool to see that it was kind of refreshing for that type of role in this uh style movie to have him have a bit more realism to him and he's not just a pretty face. I, it, it was it was interesting because once they introduced him, I thought he was a, it definitely seemed more brotherly and I was like, "Oh, okay." And then they in the like in the kissing, I was like, "Oh, okay, then he's not. Sorry. I <laughs> I I read that wrong entirely, but I like Nick's character. I felt like he had a a good amount of honest uh honesty into it and but he also meant well but he wasn't like a ditz right it didn't like uh it didn't like flip the story over into saying that well he's just oblivious that everything is happening i think that he knew but he was also in a very very tough position and it was a lot of different things that was alluded to of he basically left he was supposed to come back to take over the business and chose not to because he literally met rachel and chose to give up that life to meet to to be with her right star-crossed lovers i think it's a bit of a you know romeo and juliet-esque um sort of meeting there but i i like that you know they gave him some character beats and they gave him some character moments especially him as the best man and having that sequence of them just kind of talking 
and his uh, best friend really kind of dropped knowledge on him, which I thought was great. And I, I, you know, I'm going to mention some other side characters here in a moment, but I thought it was great that he's like, yeah, but let's be realistic. Let's be real here. Like your family's not going to accept you. And even his other friends that were kind of arguing about if this person wasn't rich and this person wasn't rich and this person wasn't rich, like, do you think if this person didn't own like this entire complex or this entire estate that they would be even married anyway? Like, are you serious? Like, I know you thought you think you thought this through, but I'm, I'm going to be like that person that really gives you the real perspective of do you ever think your family would accept this? Like, why would you put uh, why would you want to put this on yourself? And I I was so glad that it felt like there was somebody who, although you know he his best friend was has come from money, he at least was not like um uh not like staring down. It, it definitely he felt like he was way more humble and way more of a realistic character, and he was like one of the audience um, was kind of surrogates it was like yeah that's how I think too sort of thing. And so I, I I really enjoyed those character beats, and I enjoyed the character moments of Nick trying to not. Uh, fix everything but he's trying to also kind of like go with the flow like get through the wedding and then just kind of leave like spend time together like not worry about the bullshit and he even makes a couple of lines that says that you know all these people from here I don't care about these people like I didn't fall in love with these people I didn't want to stay with these people so that's why I didn't come back I kind of chose you I wanted to you know have this life that was away from this and that's why I left um, so I'm glad that he put some time in for his character uh, that was, you know, spot on, you know, a little bit better than Prince Charming. Um, I think they could have definitely went more into his, him and his mother's sort of relationship because we even yeah. find out that, you know, Eleanor Young basically didn't even raise him. Right. Eleanor Young gave him to the grandmother to raise because she wanted to make sure that he, it was, uh, what was the reasoning why? Like, because it was, she was better at it or something like that? It was like they wanted to make sure he was raised properly to take care of the family business, yeah. yeah. And so there's so much complex emotions there because we we already know from what we learned about Eleanor Young's character of, you know, she was never really accepted. So I'm wondering if that was even her choice to not raise her own son, if that was a choice and arguably only son, right? If no, that was her choice. has another son. Who? Um, the guy that got on Hong Kong Vogue magazine. Oh, 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 right, right, okay. I thought that was cousins. I thought that was all cousins, but okay. Uh, no, there's, there's, uh, I think it's like one brother and one sister. Maybe that is one of the cousins. But no, I think... they're all, I think, I think they're all cousins. Because none of them, I'm looking at it here, like, none of these other uh, actors in the actresses are named Young in the movie. Even oh, okay. Astrid was no, that was a cousin. I thought they were all cousins. All right. Maybe it, it could be his brother. Uh, the one with the Vogue, the the posing was great. He <laughs> optimal no, poses. No, optimal optimal pose. Pose. <laughs> um, But you know, I I also think it was interesting to think that you know, would a mother make that choice on her own? give her like not raise her son and give her son to be raised by the grandmother to be raised properly or is that a choice that's possibly made by the father in that in that argument you know and maybe she didn't have a choice right i think i was really hoping to get more of that um I, i really wanted to get more of what was happening here even to the point where you know and i'll talk a bit about the fashion and a little bit later on of you know, spilling red wine over a white shirt and giving him a blue 
shirt under his kind of white it, it it was just kind of like one of the colors and the things that was necessarily like dressing your son and like making sure that it's kind of properly sort of prepared for life but she didn't raise him was I think something that goes a bit deeper and this will be something I'd love to ask you know somebody in, in the book if they go deeper into that relationship because that's something I wanted more of yeah uh, I think that's a definitely a very valid point um I think uh, another actress that did really well, and I got really interested in her side story because we have her side story constantly going while we have this main story of Rachel and Nick and Eleanor, is Astrid. And Astrid is Nick's cousin, and she's supposedly this high-end fashion model that, um, that she'll walk in and she goes to a jewelry store and sits down and goes to the private room and buys 1.2 million dollar earrings like it's nothing but also at the same time she's i mean talking like stopping to be like the most pleasant person on the planet at the same time to children to others and even she takes time to even get to know rachel as well she doesn't treat rachel even from the beginning as like oh you're just some low-class uh asian american that's trying to that's next little toy for right now or anything she she mm -hmm. accepts her right off the bat and just wants to know more about her and finds it interesting and you find out that she has her husband michael who's this former soldier that um is trying to make his own business now because it's kind of like he married up he want, he needs to start pushing his own weight to like kind of be more accepted in that family and that uh when you find out that he's cheating on her it's heartbreaking for her and it's very mm -hmm. real and it's very raw and it's very uh sad and his reasoning behind it becomes very just um uh, uh just it hurt. I mean, it it hurts to the core when he tells her the reason why is because I mean, he obviously just accepted, even though he married her, that he'll never be good enough for her because she's hiding all this fancy jewelry she buys because she has the money. She doesn't have to worry about where the next dollar bill is gonna come from or mm -hmm. uh, million dollar bill is gonna come from. Yeah. Um. And but she also doesn't want to shame him or anything or make him feel ashamed that hey I'm living this lap of luxury while you're struggling to make yourself make yourself into a person and you're having to work your ass off and it feels like that's kind of like how the males have to approach this life unless they're just given the family money is that they have to. 24 7 work themselves to death in order to establish themselves as part of this culture and this family and i think michael's points are i mean not really valid and stuff for cheating not at all uh but um but it is a very striking emotional uh roller coaster that you see astrid go through and it's really interesting to see that they give her the mid credits scene that you see astrid looking at this other guy and i read up a little bit more on that and i think i know how people feel that go to marvel movies and see those mid credits and post credits 
stingers and they're just like, oh, what the hell was that? I was kind of feeling like, what the hell was that with that? And it looks like in the story that there's more story to this, mm-hmm. that they have Grindelwald a sequel and that that actor that is staring at Astrid at the engagement party for Nick and Rachel, he is someone important that we're going to learn in the future in a sequel or something. Yeah, it's, I mean, A, I didn't realize that they had a mid credit scene, so whoops, oh, okay. I, I, I left, uh, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm probably going to go watch the movie again, I uh, probably will, uh, but then B, uh, I think, you know, talking about some of the things that you meant, you know, I think, I love the fact that Rachel was inserted into this movie because the, it's very easy to show a bunch of people with a lot of money, especially looking at Bernard's character, right, and looking oh, at yeah. um, Nick's, you know, <laughs> The brother or cousin but there's it's very easy to depict like the people for a bunch of money that are completely like disassociated or detached from reality to detach from um being honorable being humble and just being overall like nice people that you want to be around and so i think it's really easy to make a movie to hate people with money especially when rachel chu is the main character who doesn't come from anything who's amazing that everybody else like literally is plotting against her yeah or is just psycho caricature yeah right or just an opulent caricature of the absolute wealthy that the world's their playground yeah but then you know we're introduced to astrid and we we did we also know that astrid knew actually has met um Rachel before this, by the way. So That's Rachel right. knew um, them. I'm assuming she's like Ashford has come over to New York. So she has met her uh, a couple of times. So they have like a, you know, light relationship, uh, like friendship there. And so I love the fact that there's so much subtleties that we find out later on that even shows how much Astrid cares about, you know, her husband and trying to make him feel powerful and make him feel wanted even though she doesn't need to do that at all and so she's being like so like uh, selfless and like so caring because she wanted to buy those earrings we don't know if she bought those earrings at all the entire movie but not only did she buy those earrings she hid them and literally never wore them the entire movie those 1.2 million dollar earrings that she never wore because she also knew and she mentioned this that she doesn't want to rub it in his face. And that's something that he tried to throw back at her. And like, she was like, what? No. And they have a kid together. And so I love that, you know, we can show this huge sort of, you can like paint a picture of all these different types of people. And yes, you know, all these people may be around the same or close to the being like the same race or ethnicity, but it, they're all look different and they all are different people. And I just really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed it a lot because it it also was made to the point where it's like, oh man, like this is not a stereotypical movie. And I kept thinking that in my head of, I just really enjoy that it felt like there somebody watched this movie and was like, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to have Astrid as a character here. We're going to have some caricatures of Aquafina and her family. We're going to have some fun in this movie, but we're also going to have a lot of realistic sort of ties that goes back and really tries to kind of ramp up of why people should enjoy this this movie uh because it's not like anything other and you know i think we had mentioned this before of it's always nice to see you know we mentioned this from black panther we mentioned this and you know uh black uh clansmen of 
it instills this hope and it instills confidence that if I can go to a theater and, you know, watch, you know, this piece of work from people that look and act and think like I am, it just validates that even more to make like to make even, you know, younger kids like, oh, yeah, like I can be myself and I can be an individual like Ashford finally had a chance to say, you know, no, no, it's okay. You bought this place. You stay here. I'm taking my son and my earrings and getting the fuck out of here. Do you see you later? You can see him not on your time, on his time when it's right for him. Goodbye. Yeah. And I'm like, I was like, yeah. hell yeah. <laughs> it's fucking, fucking great. I fucking love every moment of that. So I love those sequences because Astrid kept being, uh, again, a, a character who wasn't as resilient as Rachel. And I think right. it's super powerful, super, super powerful. And that's why, you know, again, the director of this movie and looking at the other works that he's done, definitely out of his element <laughs> because you put a sequence in when Rachel and Asher sitting down and they're burying this mackerel and burying this fish that was placed in Rachel's bed, saying that she's a gold digging bitch that was written in blood on the wall, on the window. And so this is what Rachel is dealing with from everybody that is in um, Singapore. Uh, in that, so yeah. it's like basically that. And kind of even from um, Nick's new wife or yeah. Nick's friend's new bride. Yeah. No, nah, not really. I don't think she was. Maybe she it. wasn't into it, but it was just like mostly like her bridesmaids or that, that legal attorney that, that Nick formally dated. She, yeah, I think I bet I think she, she was that. I like that they don't really say obviously who did that because I think that makes it more powerful that way. But it's like, hey, let's leave it up to the audience to guess, like, uh, if they care who who was the implicator behind all this initial like horrific things towards uh, Rachel because those things are milk toast toward i mean those are things are yeah pedestrian milk toast to what eleanor puts her through yeah and that's a good that's that's a great call out but i love the comparison and i love what's happening with rachel currently of man that everybody fucking hates me and this is what i oh this is what i'm dealing with but i'm prepared for it because i have lived in more of a realistic world coming from nothing and building what I have as a building up from what I have. Whereas Astrid comes from a world that she has everything, right? Not she's not saying she's spoiled, but she has a lot more than Rachel has. And now she's dealing with her husband's cheating on her and having an affair and breaking up their family. And Astrid can't handle it at all. And Rachel's dealing with some other way heavier stuff at that moment. And yet Rachel is still offering in like consoling Astrid of, you know, at least helping her out in that moment. And I thought that was a brilliant, a brilliant sequence. Yeah. Such a powerful sequence too. And it was a really quick, like, I mean, this seems like maybe a minute and a half, two minutes and not much dialogue was said, but I love that he put this in that movie. I love that he's giving us these moments of, even with the weight on her shoulders, she can still be just as caring for other people. And I just thought it was great. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would say like we've been mentioning the more caricature type of actors on here. We mentioned Aquafina. Um, I think uh, there were also some, I mean, these characters were here to be more of the fun and they were there to show 
like the crazy part of the crazy rich Asians and that, hey, we're in a world where everybody has as much money as you need plus more to do whatever you want. And I think they had a lot of fun actually building out these caricatures like Bernard, who is Jin Yang with money and a bazooka. He's still a big asshole, no matter what. Um, I think Kim Jong, he plays that very Kim Jong character very well. And I think it's interesting to see his family. They're all a bunch of goofballs. But there's one part when they we initially um, meet him. And I think they should explore this a little bit further. Uh, that Kim Jong is talking about like, oh, Rachel, what are you doing now? And she's like, oh, I'm a professor at NYU and economics and everything. And he says, oh, you're economics professor, while uh, Peek Ling came back and is the Asian Ella DeGeneres. And when he says that line, he doesn't. it doesn't come off as humorous to me. It comes off as very cruel that mm. this is your station in this world here is because you choose that because you are gay, we're going to treat you much differently than other people. And I think you see the same thing with Oliver. And I don't know what his relation is. Interesting. With, I didn't pick that up at and all. I, and it's very subtle. It's very minor. They don't really address it that much. And maybe it would have been an opportunity for them to give them a little bit more time that they are literally treated like second-class citizens in this family. Yeah. Then well, it's, it's like, then it's like oh, yeah, man. wear the clothes, wear the drive the fancy cars and everything uh but what you're going to do is be at our beck and call you'll see oliver he's like at, treated like a servant by eleanor you know that's a great call out because i didn't pick up on that and they, yeah um, the only time like oliver and peakling are like like kind of feel like more themselves is when they're hanging out with rachel yeah, but I didn't. I didn't realize. I guess I didn't pick up where I missed the fact that I. I didn't see that Pinkling was uh, gay in the movie. I thought that he was saying that she looked like Ellen DeGeneres because of her haircut. I literally thought it was just because of her haircut because it was dyed blonde, and so uh, I could have. I could have missed something on there. Like at the, I think it's insinuated that you know Oliver is a homosexual and Oliver is gay and he's treated a bit poorly and it's. I, I I definitely agree with you on that because she even asks, "Aren't you a part of the family?" But yeah, but I basically do what all of them tell me to do, and it kind of like ends like that. And I'm like, that kind of sucks. I wonder why he's being so shit on. Uh, yeah. But I mean that that makes a lot of sense. So I think that's a great call out. I'm I'm not sure about the I'm not sure about uh, you know Aquafina's character. Um, yeah, but I'll be, be interested to look into it. You could be right. I mean, it could be like just a light joke about her hair, but I when the way he says it, I find that it's actually just like you are the shame of my family type of thing because we see he also has another kid, PT, who yeah, like have this funny like doesn't know how to talk to women character, man child character. He starts off humorous by like doing even he does even the low whisper, "I love." You. Uh, to Rachel when he first meets her and starts taking her picture. And, but for some reason, I feel like they cross the line with this character. I mean, keep it like with Rachel, but when Rachel and her mom are sitting on her bed and he comes in and starts taking pictures of him, them together, I'm like, all right, you've just crossed the line from kind of a humorous man child to a uh, very disturbing individual in this movie. 
little weird. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think they were trying to do more of like, because I think a lot of people like laughed. I'm pretty sure I even chuckled at they were trying to kind of ramp up. The, like that family was a bunch of family of characters, right? The mother right. was crazy. The mother was out there. They had twins. The, either the father or the old, the uh, older gentleman. I'm assuming he was like the grandfather. Like he was basically kind of smiling. Kim Jong is hilarious. And I like, I'm just assuming like yeah. they were just kind of put in there as um, arguably kind of set pieces for, you know, things to uh, how the story needs to kind of move around and things that can actually happen yeah. from it. The movie director um, cousin and his ditzy girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I am like, I'm super curious to actually read this book to see if he goes in and what I'm, I, I may actually read this book. Yeah. Because I'm I'm curious to see of you know some of these other side characters and you know you definitely kind of mentioned this a lot of there are a lot of fun interesting side characters that we get like these sort of just about small tidbits of it and how it keeps coming back in the story of what what it is and what makes those characters interesting but then there's a whole other story that's potentially happening even for the guy who clearly has it doesn't seem like him and his wife from Nick's, like, either younger brother or cousin, they seem to be at each other's throats. They do not, like, agree with each other, but he has, like, the funny of, you know, this is going to go on the, what's he, what's he called? The Chinese Vogue or something like that? The Hong Kong Vogue. Hong, Hong Kong Vogue, yeah. It's like, we and should so, be on American Vogue. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, they make a couple of jokes, but, like, they literally are, they do not like each other, and I think... You know, this movie does it really well of kind of building up this ensemble of characters that are very, very powerful, sort of important supporting characters. Even like the uh, mother's um, sort of friends that was in the Bible study, especially during the wedding sequence. So I thought that was great. And I really like a lot of the characters that were introduced. It made it fun uh, and also made it sometimes serious. And it, it definitely gave it to the point where, you know, some of them were used to give us some backstory. Uh, but other ones was used to actually propel the story even further. So I think it was a phenomenal way to use a bunch of other characters in the movie to get to a particular sort of outcome. So that was great. Yeah. Um, you've said everything I had. The one thing I do want to kind of talk yeah. about is kind of Oliver. Um, and I think there was a lot of bits of situational sort of uh, comedies, especially sort of with, you know, uh, Aquafina's character was name was what again? Peking? Peking. Uh, Peakling. Uh, and so the fact that, you know, she rolls up to the actual house and has like different dresses for the occasion, I thought that was pretty <laughs> yeah. funny. Um, you know, she was doing a lot of things that definitely made it fun. You know, it definitely had like a their montage to make sure that she can dress in the, the best dress they were going through and, you know, selecting something that she looks great in. Um, and so I thought that was kind of fun. I think he definitely wanted to inject a lot more fun and to make this movie a bit rom-com, a bit more family, but definitely more impactful to say that, hey, we can have fun just as much. Like, we can make this movie and still not be, again, stereotypical. We can just make this movie and have an honest approach of what it is. So, oh, that was pretty cool. I really liked a lot of the acting in it. Um, I don't think it went kind of overboard. I think it was ridiculous at some of the things that they chose to do, but I also, like, appreciated it, and I was really, I was really kind of glad that he put that in. Yeah, the aunties and their um, like their flower ceremony was yeah. charming and everything, and uh, just to show like how Eleanor has them wrapped around her finger and they just do her bedding almost is hilarious. And um, 
I, I thought it was hilarious how Oliver just kind of like directed the ditzy girlfriend towards Bernard. At the oh, end. that was great. That was great. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Because he was like, yeah, that she she can't be a part of this family. There's no way he's gonna marry her. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. So let's talk about the uh, some some other things. So we have you know the, some music, costumes, sort of the visual spectacles and set pieces in this movie, and then we'll end with you know talking a bit about the depiction and family before we wrap up. But what do you got for sort of that the music sort of costumes overall sort of section? Yeah, I feel like the visual style of this movie really um, sets the tone for this to be a very uh, heart filled story that they want to tell it reminded me a lot of like love actually that they're taking some deliberate stylings to like kind of convey like happiness and love based on like the settings they chose to place these people in uh and one thing i think works really well is like these shaw brothers-esque title cards that are very like prismatic and everything showing you where they're at so it's like london 1995 Singapore 2018. I love how big and bold those were and bright and vibrant. And I think Singapore itself, I mean, just setting this uh, movie in Singapore where that's like the literal, that's the one city in Asia that's like the cultural melting pot for all Asian countries in that area that you're going to get a mix of everything and just how they're celebrating, like how it's a place that we're food is beloved and they have these streetcar centers where they make where these streetcar vendors have michelin stars for the quality of their food and everything that um that henry and rachel or not henry um he's henry golding but nick and rachel (laughs) yeah uh they bond over food and i think i i actually can relate to that a lot is like hey if i um met someone i mean my i definitely marry the woman that would love food just as much as me and just take as much pleasure and um and passion in it as well and i thought it was really cool that they even though it's just brief moments they elevate food to not just sustenance it is like fun it is bonding it is uh showing each other's emotion and feelings toward each other as well um and i did love the inclusion of the pop covers in this film of the chinese pop cover so it was really cool to see like hey we'll put in popular american songs uh but let's have a chinese musician sing them i thoroughly i i wish that we could have gotten the sequence in the scene when um you know nick and Rachel show up in Singapore for the first time and they go get food. Like that sequence was absolutely perfect and it was very subtle, but it shows like all the food that they were getting. I believe Nick was actually speaking a couple different languages there um, to the street vendors, which I thought was actually very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy that scene a lot because I think all of us loves food, you know, but you know the the use of food and to, in order to convey you know love and friendship and the things you're talking about like definitely brought me back to have you seen incredibles 2 yet oh yeah, yeah. and so that bow sequence oh my god like, bow like, is the, still one of my favorite movies this year <laughs> by by far so like the the bow it like 
that like when that scene happened i would i thought the scene was absolutely it was shot gorgeous they were you know smack dab in the middle and this the camera was kind of sort of like behind it was more focused on rachel a bit more because she was a bit newer there and they had a couple conversations but they still were kind of talking about it's kind of welcoming and kind of invite her in with like using all this kind of food that she may have never had before um and then you know trans trans you know we kind of fast forward to you know the makers of the dumplings and how food and just things of so much family and the, just like the visualness of it and the music that's being used for it i thought it was absolutely amazing like i thought it was absolutely phenomenal it was such a great great shot it was such a great take from it and i wish i'm glad they didn't like have the scene but i think that you know those are scenes and sequences that people are going to look over and says oh that was good but then you have to like go back and like think about you know what happened on that scene right there and how impactful that it was a little bit later on of how how much the movie um made an impact on you from there because we arguably we don't know right we we we're introduced to who the brides and the groom are but they're also sort of normal sort of nice people and that's something that we also kind of figure out through the movie but we also see that they're basically like the celebrities of the actual everywhere there and so they are like the cream of the crop but yet they're just sitting down and eating food that's kind of street food with just everybody else and just having a good time and i just thought it's very impactful to kind of show that and i thought it was pretty cool yeah um love the score so much i know you talked about some of the famous kind of the pop songs and i love the fact that not all this move not all the music in here was k-pop stuff i know they kind of kept going towards that a little bit but you know the composer of this actual movie was brian tyler and i you know again i kept saying that there's so many things in this movie that people felt out of their element no now brian tyler has made a bunch of stuff oh my gosh like his score his imdb like is endless right fast and furious like expendables to a bunch of the marvel films but nowhere in his um sort of uh, filmography is there any sort of disney princess sort of score and that's exactly what we get and i think you hit the nail on the head saying that you know nick was a better version of a prince charming this is what live action disney film should be yeah. my goodness if this was not one of the best depictions of a di this is like you know I was going to say this is what Mulan should be, but like, no, I love Mulan, so that, that movie is phenomenal. But like, this is what the Disney movies need to be like, way, way more subtle, but still have the Prince Charming, still have the resilience, still have the glass sip slipper, which would potentially be like Mahjong in this movie, right? This yeah. is like the modern day Disney film. And so you see everything that's being placed because i know disney films and a lot of the stuff that we see in these cartoons talk about inclusion it talks about resiliency it talks about like empowering other people it talks about people that are fantastical yet very humble and just kind of normal people right we see these characters that are being portrayed through all, all of our lives but we see them as cartoons and we can't quite um step into their shoes because they're cartoons we can still idolize them we can love them but it's like man i just I can never see myself as a cartoon. So then we get this movie here that 
definitely feels like a Disney film from like the evil, you know, stepsister. Like you have all these caricatures, exactly what I was talking about earlier. That it literally is what like cartoons would be, just translated into people. And so Brian, uh, Brian Tyler, like his score is absolutely phenomenal. From when they're pulling up to the actual mansion to i think i i kid you not the the song that was played during the wedding sequence and the visual spectacle from the wedding sequence of the water coming up so i think you know talking about the visual elements and how everything seems like a story it seems like a disney sort of setting is this wedding sequence is absolutely phenomenal yeah like we get that rachel has uh, bounce back again. She's being resilient. She's like, you know what? Fuck these people. She's going to show them that they put this fish in her thing. She has like, this huge makeover. She asked for help from her friends. And I think that's another sort of empower, like impactful thing. She doesn't really ask for help until she needs it. And so now she has Oliver. She has her, uh, you know, um, I can't pronounce her name, but, you know, Aquafina's character <laughs> on her side. So she has this makeover. She like looks great, has like, an amazing dress. And, um, tries to, you know, still bond with, you know, Michelle's character, and she says no, and so she goes up and does what she naturally does. She has this natural beauty of, you know, a natural sort of, like, tendency to just connect with people and starts talking to the bride's mother, who we had seen, we know earlier, she's reserved all the seats, so nobody would even fuck with her at all. Yeah, and, and she's she a royal to, princess. Yes, and she walks up to her and says... I really read your article about this economics and I really agree with you. And it blew me away that they put this in the movie. That's why I think Brian Tyler's out of his element. That's why I think John Chu's out of his element. But, you know, you have so many amazing things that was done to this movie that's all packed into one. And you have this wedding sequence that finally happens that you have, you know, simultaneous things happening here. Nick is literally following, lo falling in love more and more. And you see they have a connection between Nick and Rachel. And she's crying because it's so beautiful. And it's such an amazing scene. Yeah, uh, yeah. Them, and that's also a nonverbal. What's up? Yeah, that scene where Rachel and uh, Nick are talking, or, or, or Rachel sees Nick, and she has that single tear come down her eye. So it's good. so well done, so well shot, and it's like, I mean, it made me like feel feelings, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it was very it, emotional. Uh, I, like, this scene is breathtaking. I have so many things as being layer upon layer that's happening. You have nonverbal communication and those looks that we had mentioned before. You have a score and the song is absolutely amazing and it swells because this is marriage and this is like the Disney princess, somebody else's Disney princess, not quite Rachel Chu just yet. And then you get the visual. And so now you have these sort of uh, flowers that's being draped over the actual aisle that has kind of lights down and you see that there's water that's being um, down the actual aisle and before that you have the ring bearer they're walking through you see Nick kind of engaging with the, the ring bearer and the uh, flower girls and that's also like super cute and then okay, that's brownie like, points right there I mean right? that's gonna it's get so the good. points <laughs> it's, it, it's so good because it's like it just felt so real you, yeah. not so real it felt so real but then you have the water that's coming down the aisle and she's just walking down through the water 
and then his then the moment shifts to the actual wedding that they're there for and his best friend and how they're enjoying that moment. And I just think everything about that sequence screamed, you know, um, Cinderella and the Prince, uh, Little Mermaid and like Mulan and Beauty and the Beast, especially. It was like just about everything about that. It like all swelled in together. And I, I just thought it was absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, definitely I, I want everybody to go and start just start listening to the soundtrack and just listen to the score. Not quite the soundtrack just yet. Listen to the score. The first three songs, it would be like it'll get you neatly in the feels because it opens up so quickly. So. I absolutely loved, you know, everything about it. And um, even for, like, the subtle subtleties, which is kind of the fashion that they talked about Astrid as a character, but everybody was up there. Like, I think fashion as a whole was just on point. I'm pretty sure this yeah. movie better get nominated for costuming because it was absolutely phenomenal. So I just really, really enjoyed just about everything visual in this movie. Yeah, I mean, they literally treated it as a wedding of the century where... Um, it was almost like going down a red, you see a Hollywood red carpet or a wedding, which is nuts. You don't really usually see that unless it's a royal wedding that's happening. Exactly. And this was arguably, it felt like more like a royal wedding, but way more grounded yeah. and way more uh, impactful to normal people. No, way more impactful <laughs> to people that are, are different Right, and I, th I think that's that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so now we you know we talked a bit about the music uh, and mu um, sort of um, costumes and visual spectacle. You know, what else did you want to add to the depiction of like this family and just overall the Asian culture and how it was shown in this movie? Yeah, so I thought um, that it was really cool to have this uh, juxtaposition where you have this more American. Um, ideology of following your passions in life and that's what's going to be your occupation and your livelihood versus commitment to family and even though i would argue like the american version of that's kind of balancing the of those both is going to be uh ideal that uh it's interesting how hard nosed they are about when you have an established family that has all this wealth and all this um responsibility to run this incredible empire that they have um that you're you've once you've been born you're pretty much signed up to do what you want to do what you're going to do in life you don't really have a choice and it's really interesting to see those two uh thoughts of um just collide in this just in this simple way of like a economics professor and then the matriarch of this whole family mm -hmm. um and i also thought like it's interesting to see some of the customs they have that they their customs are a mix of a lot of different things they say they're methodist and they start every morning by reading bible verses aloud in what looks like a book club circle which mm, yeah, is interesting is very similar to like i mean when i grow up like yeah, you read your Bible, but you read it kind of at your bed and in silence before you go to bed. And when you wake up, you'll read a Bible verse. And then the more communal thing is going to church. They really didn't do that. It's always inside the family. So it'd be interesting. I think that'd be interesting more to explore that, to see, like, what do, what do these passages in the Bible mean to them? What, how does it drive 
how they're going to approach the day and everything. I think that would be an interesting study as well. Um, I think all of these culture clashes lead up to what's probably the best scene in the film, which is the Mahjong scene. And I love this scene because I don't have to know how to play Mahjong to understand what's happening. And that makes it so powerful that I can see that since I know Rachel is an economics professor in game theory, that Eleanor is probably a masterful Mahjong player because it's required for her to be a great Mahjong player because of who she is and what her station is. And that Rachel was taught by her mother that Mahjong as well. Do we know how good Rachel is? We probably get a good glimpse of it because she did game someone in a poker game at the very beginning. And she did like something you're never supposed to do in a poker game, which is show her hand. And so that means it seems like much more in this Mahjong game where I feel that the way I saw it was, even though I don't know the rules, Rachel kind of set it up where she basically gave the winning hand to Eleanor based on this one chip. And this whole, and it's not about the game, it's about Rachel basically beating Eleanor this time, getting over all her um, her matriarchal cruelty and everything, and getting, finally getting a one-up on her and saying like, Hey, you may not think I'm the right person. You may, you, all right, I'll accept. You're never going to accept me. But remember the happiness that Nick will have, the child, the grandchildren you're going to have, those times and those moments, they're all going to be because of me. And she actually plays that Mahjong game where she sets it up where Eleanor has the winning hand and gives her that one chip to say, all right, There you go. You want to win right now? Okay, win. But remember who gave you that win for all eternity. It is done so fucking well that I was like, I wanted to get up and cheer like so much for Rachel at that moment. And then Rachel does the thing where she's like, I'll show you my hand. And I don't think Rachel has a better hand than her. She's just saying like, hey, if I wanted to beat you, I could. I I mean it's it's curious because I also don't know how to play mahjong, um, but I thought Rachel actually had a better hand and had one. Um, or she showed point, the she showed the hand that she didn't play, which was a yeah, better hand. Yeah, that's a good. I think it was. And I I love the fact that and again you know time and time again we've seen in this movie that Rachel never stoop to that level. Rachel always takes the higher road. She takes the higher ground because she knows, and that was a very difficult decision to not only beat, not only give her the win because she's not giving up. She's never at any point given up. She's simply saying that, you know what? Like, what I want you to do is take this win. You you have this round, but know this is that you have now set your son up for failure, and you set your son up to hate you for the rest of his life because you chose to do those action and do all these nasty things to me where I'm just simply trying to meet you and try to be the best person that I can. So here you go. You can feel free to have the hand in Mahjong. Oh, by the way, I could have beat you at any point in this moment. Like by any point, I didn't even need to come here and 
arguably if I wanted to take him away, I have the ability to do that, but I'm not going to do that because I'm the better person and I'm going to walk away. And she shows her hand, walks away, grabs her mother. And then the look from the, her mother from the, uh, you know, Oh yeah. It's the best icing on the cake. She gives her the worst stink eye ever. It's so awesome. That's, you know, I think there's like maybe three scenes in this movie, you know, the food sequence, the wedding scene, um, and the Mahjong, like these are some of the pillars, arguably, I think you have to say four if there's pillars, but if these are like some of the pillars, like the, some of the big sequences of the movie that are just absolutely stunning and they're just, there's a, all these three scenes are all different, but damn, like, does it do wonders for this movie and i just thought it was absolutely great yeah and it's i mean it just uh, i mean that scene just make just get your emotions pumping and for the rest of the movie you're just elated for rachel and you're hoping that the best outcome happens which it does which is really cool and everything and I think they also do a really good job. Like I kind of relate this to being kind of like love actually, where you have uh, Nick's second time that he's trying to propose to Rachel is like the most Hollywood uh, proposal scene ever where they're on an airplane. He runs onto the airplane and they're talking between the aisles. And while they're talking through the aisles, you're like, Oh, he's going to help people like put their luggage up and like get them in so their season. And there's like, all right, how much nicer of a guy can this guy be? Yeah. And when you see it, like when the first proposal happens, it's on like this beautiful, like, like oh. coastside and it's, but the, the feelings aren't there at all. It's like, here's a ring that I bought for you. I wanted to propose to you. Please let's get it married and run away from all this. This is dumb. And then when we see that the second time it proposes, it's Eleanor's ring. That's such a huge, big deal. And it just means so much to... it's right in the feels, bro. That Rachel has won her over, that she has beaten Eleanor, which is fantastic. Um, I always also thought that the scene when she confronts her... When Rachel confronts her mom to talk about who her dad really is it was really handled very interestingly it's very like reserved and very temperate that usually when someone hears like initially like at the wedding you hear from eleanor first that rachel's dad did not die she's a product of um she's a product of illegitimacy which is like there's no way in hell you're joining this family at all. It becomes the most cruel thing that right, that Eleanor's done to her because she hired a private investigator to investigate her whole family. Um, that when her mom arrives from New York and usually in a Hollywood film, you would see that Rachel should go off on a tirade on her mom and say, how dare you not tell me about my father or where I came from? You've ruined my life. And that doesn't happen. What happens is, like, I want to understand, why did you hide this so much? Uh, why did you want me not to no, have this truth with me? And it was so maturely handled that I felt that it was definitely earned where her mom gives this wonderful story about, 
your father was a cruel man, or my husband was a cruel man, but your father was one of my best, was the friend that got me through this cruelty. Yeah. And I had his kid who was you because, and I wanted every, nothing but goodness for my daughter and the best for my daughter. And that's why I ran away. And I thought that was a really reserved but powerful scene as well. Uh, I love that, you know, you have a parallels in this movie of, you know, no parent wants to see their child suffer for any reasons. Yeah, the parent will weather the storm to make sure the child gets the best lives as possible. So we see these parallels between uh, Rachel and her mother and her mother hiding this secret from Rachel so that she can have a beautiful life and she can live on the the story that, you know, my father died when I was young and that's it. And then, you know, on the opposite side, we have, um, you know, Nick and his mother and, you know, Nick's mother chose to say, you know what, like, I don't want him to kind of learn more about like who I am. So I'm just going to raise him or have him be raised by the grandmother. And the only thing that he knows is what the his, his grandmother is going to then instill in him. And so, you know, I thought it was interesting. I'm glad that she didn't bring, she didn't meet it up with anger as we normally would see. I still think it's a little odd of like the timing of it all. Um, it just kind of happened a bit quickly because it felt like it was kind of like misplaced of, okay, so then is your father dead? Is your father still alive? If you ran away from there, your father's still alive. Did he also go to New York? Is what is yeah. this going to be a continuation a little bit later on of a story? Like I thought it was, they, they kind of left a couple things up in the air of, okay, but what happened? Uh, you, you know, I can understand why you had left and you're a friend and, you know, maybe th there's a lot, there's a whole other story there that I guess, you know, may not be pertinent um, at the time of when they were telling this story. But now yeah. I'm, I'm curious about it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think they do that on purpose because they have a lot of these, they mention these characters that we never see and they mention like something about them that affects, that seriously affects other characters like Rachel's father who he is you want to know more about him who is nick's dad what is he like yeah if eleanor and anma are like that um what's going to happen when he comes home and meets rachel for the first time how is he going to react that's going to be interesting and this whole setup scene with astrid in the middle of the credits that they have these very they i thought it was done really well but they have these like very subtle Kind of like, hey, let's set a couple things up for a sequel and keep you thinking about this movie until the sequel actually comes out, which they've already greenlit a sequel to. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I, mean, I feel that's where I feel like it would be interesting to read this book to see how much of this movie, how, what part of the book is is like the first half, the first third, something like that. Yeah, I just don't. I hope they don't, you know, hobbit this and make it in three books. When it, right. I mean, three movies when it's on Buck. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, the the other thing I, I did want to kind of mention just more along the lines of kind of the family and the culture is I definitely was getting a lot of different vibes and a lot of senses of Fiddler on the Roof that really, you know, you know, with Tevia and his character and his daughters, there was a uh, almost like a battle between kind of tradition and sort of family. And we see that a lot on Nick's sort of kind of side of the family. And so the moment that we get to Singapore, it was like, 
a, obviously a very vastly different version of Fiddler on the Roof, but definitely kind of got some notes and definitely got some scenes from there. And I thought that was really, really cool. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, is Nick actually running away from um, his duty of the tradition? But is he also just trying to kind of go through and kind of follow through with love or it definitely asks a lot of different questions of people ask themselves today. Um, and again, much more Disney esque. And so I thought it was pretty cool. And I thought it was also this very, very impactful. So I enjoyed seeing that and just everything else they, they just kind of mentioned along with um, just the culture that they showed us. And with that, Let's get into our lasting thoughts. So, Bradley, what's your yeah. lasting thoughts of overall sort of recommendations of, you know, would you recommend this movie? And what do you got to say about Crazy Rich Asians? Yeah, I would definitely recommend this movie, um, especially if you're a fan of romantic comedies like this. Um, it definitely, if you love Love Actually, or even if you like Coming to America, it's got very similar vibes and styles to it. So true that um that it fits right up there as one of the best romantic comedies made and so i think it's definitely worth catching put it on during christmas time as well every every year so you can watch it again with your loved one so it's definitely worth watching it's a lot of gotta, fun it's a lot of heart to it as well i gotta echo everything you said it is the disney movie that i think we need that a lot of people may not realize do not get swayed and do not be upset about the title of this movie. I think a lot of people saw the title and it's like, Ooh, are you going to actually name it that? Don't judge a book by its cover. Definitely go check this movie out. Go watch this movie. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. It's not like a regular rom-com as we talked about before. It definitely has some elements. It has some elements of some Disney elements. It has some other elements of some really deep um, scenarios and situations that we had been, we had talked about. Like it's a real movie uh, meaning that you have a lot of real characters that I feel like besides the, the money, right, and even with the money and how people are in themselves and how you view yourself in your life, like we deal with a lot of other issues that you had really no idea, but other people are dealing with these issues. doesn't matter if they're social economic status. So definitely go check out this movie. Definitely check out the score. You know, definitely kind of embrace what's actually happening here because I, I'd love to see a sequel to this movie. I'm nervous, but I'd love to see a sequel to this movie, especially if it's anything like we've gotten before. Um, just make sure you have the same actors, same director, and same composer, and I'm good to go. Yeah. And with that, we are the Down in Front Podcast on giving you a full review for Crazy Rich Asians. Brylan, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can find me, um, not having that much money on Twitter at Brylon, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Um, you can also find me on Instagram where I'll put up some stuff from time to time at I am Brylon. And I'm the host of the Gamescast, twitch.tv slash podcast. We just finished up a whole week of the launch of Battle for Azeroth, the new expansion for World of Warcraft. But we're going to start diving into some of the other games that we need to finish up from here on out always good to hear i really enjoyed those games sort of reviews so definitely go check that out if you haven't 
And check out more of our work. Uh, the main website we'll be talking about are downtofrontpodcast.com, where it's going to be all of our bios and information of our podcast. We have our video teasers. We also have Mocha Mike as one of our members. He actually created all of our artwork for it, so definitely go check that out. It's like a kind of scrolling roll to have that information, along with information on the game cast is going to be there. And, you know, we're going to have our SoundCloud information and our Twitter is all going to be kind of tied to that website. So definitely go check that out. If you're all on Twitter, underscore DAFP stands for Down in Front Podcast. And our Facebook is facebook.com slash Down in Front Podcast. And if you like what we do, you do want to kind of support us just for $1, Bob, just the prices on the can, you know, definitely kind of check out and become a patron. You can join our Discord channel. We have a lot of different conversations about a lot of random stuff, but I think it's really, really cool sort of conversations that may not make actually make it on the actual show. And, you know, you can potentially kind of hang out with us and join in for our next review. So definitely go check that out. Patreon.com slash Down in Front Podcast. Thanks so much for your time. We will see you next week. And everybody enjoy and save up your pennies. And so we can all become rich, crazy, rich people. Oh, Warren. And um, before we leave, I just mm-hmm. got a text from Blewett. And all it says is crazy Jesse Dumpling Fingers at QQ.com. QQ.com. <laughs> crazy Jesse Dumpling Fingers at QQ.com. Definitely Google that right now. Send him so many emails. It'd be great. Uh, Thanks, everybody, and we love you. We'll see you later. Bye.